sometimes Jesus takes us back to basics in hopes of speaking truth and revelation in us that will cause something to come alive in our spirit that wasn't there before. Tonight, we're going back to one of the most basic truths there is, communion and the Lord's Supper. I want to let you know this. On the table is a list of, I don't know, maybe 30, 35 scriptures. Because I'm going to do a little walk through scripture tonight. And if you happen to be listening on our website, the scriptures are on the website as well. So let's pray and let's step in and see what Jesus wants to teach us, okay? Jesus, you are the lamb. You are the lamb of glory, the lamb of God, the lambs whose blood is more precious than anything we can comprehend with a human mind. And you are in heaven right now receiving worship, receiving worship from angels and elders and worship in realms that we cannot comprehend. And you are hungry and you are thirsting for that realm of worship to arise within our hearts. So we come tonight and say we'd love to learn anew. Why did you want us to touch the bread and the cup? What was the fullness in your heart? And Jesus, we're, we're not a naive people. We know we can't get to the fullness tonight, but we know you have something that you want to teach us. And so we want to come and learn from you. So if you don't mind, just put your hand over your heart and repeat after me. Let's just say it in oneness. Oh, Holy Spirit, please give me the power to receive everything Jesus has for me. Sometimes there is one event, and when that one event happens in our life, we know something will never be the same again, that it is such a significant event, it hits to the core of who we are, and we know, I don't know if I'll be the same again, that this is going to rearrange me, rearrange my paradigms, my strength, my courages, my journey, it's I just will never be the same again. And that was the situation for the early church. The early church was based upon Jewish believers. And tonight I'd like to, by the power of the Spirit, give you a glimpse of communion through the eyes of the early church because it's very different than the way we see it. And it's very powerful. The Jews of that day would have gone up to the temple at least three times a year. Their whole life centered around either raising an animal they could sacrifice or raising the money to buy an animal they could sacrifice. They understood. 
the blood was everything. And so now here come the disciples. All their lives, they have stood before a brazen altar. It was a wood altar with bronze over it. And it's where the sacrifices were made and the fire never went out. And so from little boys up, they would come and they would stand in front of this altar and they would see the fire and they would see the animals sacrificed. And it was through that they would know, I'm forgiven, I'm clean. They saw the burnt offerings. It was a cry for, make me whole, and I want to be wholly devoted to you, God. They saw the grain offerings where people would come to celebrate the goodness of God. They saw the peace offerings when we just were crying out to be one with him and him with us. And they saw the sin offering and knew they could walk away clean. And then they saw the guilt offerings for the sins they committed that they didn't mean to, but it had had consequences for other people. And they knew those were covered. They would see the Passover lamb. They would see the Day of Atonement. But for them, they would come to this place, a brazen altar where fire was always burning. Their whole life centered around getting to this altar, bringing the animal, saving the money to buy the animal. This was their central focus. This was their vortex. Everything in their life centered around you bring the sacrifice. In their whole life, they knew they couldn't do it. It had to be a priest. And their whole life, they had felt like this priest interceded between them and God, that they could not go to him directly. Their whole life, their family schedule, their calendar centered around getting to this brazen altar. And they knew the history. It was deep. It was in their DNA. They knew the history. They knew blood was first shed. In Genesis 3, when God himself wanted to cover Adam and Eve, and God himself slew the animal, and God himself made the garments, and they knew there was something holy there. But, like, they didn't quite grasp the garments. They it was holy that God himself put his feet on the earth and made the garments. Every Jew knew the story of Genesis 15, of where Abraham is talking to the Lord. And Abraham said, I'm, I'm childless. God said, I'll give you a son. He said, how do I know you're going to give me a son? How do I know? And God said, I'm going to give you land. And Abraham goes, how do I know you're going to give me land? And you have to realize in that day, Abraham was the first in the lineage of monotheistic believers. He was among the earliest one God believers. They had had peaks and valleys with Adam and Eve here and Noah here, but they were peaks and valleys, and, but not a consistent stream. And, and so he's just saying, God, how do I know? How do I know you're not lying to me? 
And God said, go get this animal and this animal and this animal. Because you see, the father had no blood. So he had to use animals. And he tells Abraham, lay out the animals here and here. And then it is written in scripture that a deep darkness, or in the Hebrew, a glory so thick, it seemed like darkness. Not darkness like bad darkness, but a heavy glory came over Abraham. And the father himself, once again, puts his footprint in the earth. And because no man can see God and live, Abraham visually thought, I think it's a smoking fire pot, and then it's followed by a torch, representative of the Father and the Son. The Father is the pot. A torch gets its light from the pot and then carries it, and it goes through the blood. God really came. This isn't a story. We forget the awe of heaven invading earth. And God said, now, I have made covenant with you. And so for Abraham and for the Jews, that place of blood was the place of knowing God does not lie. The blood says he does not lie. But as with all fresh revelation, generation comes, generations go. Some believe, some don't believe, some water it down, some twist it around. But every Jew knew about Passover. They didn't understand it. You put the blood of a lamb, you're protected from death. They didn't understand that as the Israelites walked under the blood of the lamb, everyone was physically healed. There was not a weary one, not a sick one, not an infirmed one after all those years of slavery. Scripture says. They come to Mount Sinai, and in Exodus 24, verse 8, and Moses took the blood. And he threw it on the people. And he said, behold, behold, the blood of the covenant that God has made with you. The early church knew all of this. And then Jesus comes. And Jesus turns their faith upside down. It took a miracle of faith for the disciples in the early church, you see. A miracle of faith. Because now Jesus was talking about his blood. And when the hour came, Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
For I tell you the truth, I won't eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this. Divide it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, the cup, this cup that's poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And everything changed. They didn't see it at first. They saw him bleeding and the horrible wonder of the cross. But then after resurrection, John chapter 20 and Luke 24 tell us that that Jesus kept visiting the disciples, revealing scripture to them, revealing scripture to them so that they could understand. Often we we will say, this do in remembrance of me. The Greek actually is a little bit different. The Greek says, call me. Jesus, call me. Jesus, affectionately to your memory and to the front of your mind. Call me affectionately to your memory and to the front of your mind. Paul told the church at Corinth, you're you're missing the Lord's Supper here. You're not getting it. You're distracted. You're not taking it seriously. Because what Jesus is saying, when you come to this table intentionally, call me. Call me, Jesus, and be focused, affectionate in your memory of him, what he has done in his ministry, what he has done for you. And in the forefront of your mind, nothing else there. It's almost like he's so in the front of your mind, you can't think or see anything else because you're so lost and affectionately remembering him. Loving him and worshiping him. It took a miracle of faith for the disciples in that early church to realize, you mean no more Passover lamb? No more sacrifices at the Day of Atonement? We don't have to do the burnt offering and the peace offering and the guilt offering and And for lepers to be healed, we don't need to sprinkle them with blood anymore. And and so, can you imagine? Several times a year, they would go and they would stand in front of that brazen altar. They would give their sacrifice to the priest. And now, Jesus is asking them to believe that what they have is greater than what Father Abraham had. That what they have is greater than what Moses had when he met with God face to face on Mount Sinai. What they have is greater than what David had. What faith. 
And all their life they were taught, shed the blood for this, shed the blood for that, do this, do this, bring this offering. How much faith did it take after Jesus was resurrected and the, it was time to do the offerings for them to keep their hands in their pocket and not take a sacrifice? And to believe, no, Jesus' blood was covered this. Jesus' blood covered this. This changed everything about their life, their paradigms, their religion, their routine, even their calendar. They were no longer focusing on raising animals for sacrifice and raising money. But now it took, see, it took a lot of faith. There had been centuries of Jewish teachings and the Torah and the prophet. Their DNA was you need to do a blood sacrifice to be clear with God. And now suddenly one event happened and they were to take a giant step away from their life and everything they had known about faith and how to be clear with God. What kind of faith did that take? And so now not only when they're walking in the temple and they're healing people in the temple in the name of Jesus and they see the brazen altar and they, they don't go there anymore. Now they're having to take a totally different leap of faith. Because now they are priests. They are priests. They are stewards of the blood of Jesus Christ. And just as in the Old Testament, the priest brought the people into the power of the blood and into the presence of God, now they are priests. And that was another miracle because priest always was by your DNA and your family lineage. These commoners are priests now. And these commoners can take anybody into the presence of God. These commoners are priests and can say, the blood of Jesus cleanses your sin. And the person is cleansed. No blood. Their whole identity was shifted. We, we are priests now. giant leap of faith for them. It was a tremendous transformation to the core to know I just proclaimed the blood of Christ. I'm cleansed. By the blood I'm brought into his presence. By his blood I'm sanctified. I'm justified. By his stripes, by his blood, my body is healed and so is yours. And all of a sudden, it's like the whole world is redeemed. You have a Savior whose blood will meet you wherever you are. You don't have to come to Jerusalem. All of creation is saved because never again will a precious animal have to lay down their life waiting for Christ to come. And never again will a tree have to give up its branches to be a cross. See, this was all different. And the book of Acts says that when they gathered, 
They rehearsed the teaching of the apostles. They fellowshiped with one another, and they broke bread. And that was their term. They didn't call it communion and Lord's Supper. That was what Westerners tagged it much later. They broke bread. Now imagine this. They're persecuted. They're being martyred for this giant leap of faith that seems irrational, but God keeps coming, and God keeps coming in presence and power, and they're being persecuted, and they're being martyred and arrested. And so what do they do? It says, they tried to meet daily, and they came to the table. And they called him Jesus. And they would rehearse affectionately memories of him, of who he was when he was on this earth and who he had been to them until the forefront of their mind was filled with the goodness of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and that this was the right faith to stand on and to be bold about. No wonder they took it daily. They were doing something that had never been done before. And we are spared the stories in the book of Acts of all of them whose families abandoned them. Can you imagine the attempt of all the religious demons that came against them to try to make them feel like, well, that's not good enough in shame and condemnation. You better... Better do that blood sacrifice over there in case this doesn't work. Can you imagine the mental onslaught that came against them? And they would just go to the communion table. And they would call me, Jesus, affectionately to your memory and to the forefront of your mind. And out of this atmosphere of great faith, Paul and Peter and John teach us what they learned about the blood. And they were teaching the Jewish church, this blood is for the forgiveness of sins. He is the Passover lamb. He is Messiah. Come to this table and be healed. Come to this table. As it's written in Acts 13, by the blood of Jesus, by this Jesus Christ, we are set free from everything that the law could not set us free from. And what Paul says to the church at Corinth is, you're, you're coming to the table, you're preoccupied, some of you don't even expect your sins to get forgiven, and some of you don't even expect to get delivered or healed. You, you're just coming. And he's like, please, please remember this. For the life of a creature is in the blood. And the atonement for the whole of our life is in the blood, Leviticus 
about three years ago. This will be a familiar story to some of you, but for some reason Jesus is saying, do it again. Three young believers who had been Muslims and come to Christ in Syria, they went through the six-week discipleship program, and when they finished, they all felt like they should go to a um, to Iran, but they didn't know why. They felt like they should go to Fallujah, but they didn't know why. So they were walking, and they're just babes in Christ, and they see a mosque, and they're standing outside, and and they talk, and they decide whoever comes out first, they're going to go and just tell them of Jesus. A man comes out, they go, and as soon as they say, Isi or Jesus, the man collapses on the ground by the power of the glory. He gets up and he's had a vision of Christ. And then they find out he is the head imam of the entire mosque. He turns and he runs back inside. And he proclaims what has just happened to him. And when he speaks it, and he says, if any of you want to know this, Jesus, come with me. Over 70 men go down in the spirit and they have a vision of Christ. He goes home and his wife, Fatima, has the same vision. And all they know is that Jesus is the true God, the true Messiah. And the young believers try to tell them what they know, but they don't know much. But they share communion with them. And that when you take the bread and the cup, just call for him. And remember the power of the cross is to bring resurrection power into every realm of your life. Just call to him and expect him to come. Three days later, the husband is martyred. Fatima wants to honor her husband. She doesn't know what else to do, but she sends the word out. If anyone has come to faith in this Jesus, come to my house, and we will share this communion. He had been a believer for three days. Over 1,200 Muslims converted to Christ in three days showed up at the memorial service because the ones in the mosque told their families and they told their families, and every time they told it, they all had the exact same experience. They were drawn up and saw Jesus. So over 1,200 people came. And Fatima, in her simplicity, just gave him communion and said, I'm a new believer. I'm still learning. But I know this represents that Jesus is the king of kings, the savior, the God, and that what he did on the cross is in this body and blood. And if we believe it, he will do it. That day, everyone who needed physical healing got healed, taking communion. We're three years down the road now. She travels all over Iraq and Syria, just bringing people to the communion table. And still, every person gets healed. 
and many Muslims have come to the communion table, gotten healed, and met him. Is that just for there? Well, of course not. God is the same everywhere. They're expectant. Expectant. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh, drinks my blood, has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. And whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. The understanding when you feed and you drink on something is that you are fully aware it is the only source of life from all forms of darkness and death. Whether it's oppression in your mind, in your emotions, your finances, your relationships, your dreams haven't come true, it doesn't matter what shade the darkness may be. He's saying, you make me your source. Call to me. Affectionately remember who I really am. And fill up your thoughts with it. And take that body. And take that blood. And expect the same thing to happen as it did when I walked this earth. And take it intentionally. With great faith. As I talk for just a few moments, I'm going to ask the four people to come and just serve you communion. So if you would come and just hold on to it, and we'll take it together. You know, when God came down with Abraham and answered his questions, the blood was the knowing place, the knowing that God doesn't lie. And when Moses sprinkled the blood over Israel, it was the knowing place of them knowing their true identity as the treasured people of God. And when Jesus shed the blood, it was the place of family, of oneness, of where he said, everything I have is yours now. It is at the communion table that past and present and future just come into one place. And it's Jesus. It's just Jesus. This is not a tradition. This isn't something that Jesus tagged on. It was one of the few commandments that he left with us. But he left it with no prerequisites. You don't have to be in church. You don't do it bi-monthly. You don't do it bi-weekly. He said to individuals, call on me. 
affectionately remember me. Fill your mind with me and expect the power of all my promises to come to you through this blood covenant as surely as my father kept his promises with Abraham. Dear ones, this is holy. What you have in your hand is holy. It's holy. You know, sometimes we, we, we miss that this is one thing Jesus asked of us and this is one thing we can do. We can hold the bread and hold the cup and go, oh my goodness. Jesus, the son of the most high God, asked me to hold this. The son of the most high God. And he made it such simple things of bread and something to drink that it doesn't matter if I'm the poorest of the poor or the richest of the rich. I can use anything for bread. It can be a saltine in water. It can be, he didn't say, it had to be this kind of bread. It had to be this. He said, just, just take whatever is bread to you and whatever is drink. I want to show up in the midst of your daily life with my holiness, my promises for you to know me and be known by me. What you hold is holy. Holy is the Lord. Holy is this in your hand. It's holy. Jesus, we call on you. We love you, Jesus. We fill our memory with you. When you healed the lepers, you protected the adulteress. You healed the blind man, you raised the dead. You took the children on your lap. You cast out the demons. You defeated death. We remember you. You are the son of the living God. And we remember you on the cross with all the blood and all the wounds that you freely embraced so that we would never have to do a sacrifice ever again. So Jesus, I don't know what my brothers and sisters me tonight or how you want to meet them, but this is the meeting place tonight at your table where you are the king of kings and your reign is all that matters. And at your table, you will cast aside anything else that wants to reign in our lives. You are the king. So this is indeed time to be expectant, to be wide open, and to allow the King of Kings to establish his throne, whether in your past, present, future, your body, your mind, your finances, it doesn't matter where. Welcome him. Welcome him. <laughs>